0: Hello and welcome to Fans, the podcast hosted by me, Sachin Akrani, in which I speak to people I like, find interesting, or both, about being football fans. And joining me for this episode to talk all things Leeds United is award-winning audio producer and very funny man on Twitter. It's Ed Morrish. Ed, how are you?
1: I'm very well, thank you Sachin. How are you?
0: Not too bad, not too bad. Uh, We're both speaking uh, as we we discussed uh, prior to recording on a Quietish Tuesday morning. You've had some very good news. We won't go through all that again, but um, nice. you've had some very good news work-wise. I've had a quiet morning, a of cereal and a cup of coffee while watching this morning. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've had contrasting mornings, but gathered to talk about the mighty Leeds United, which is very exciting. Before we get on to that, I've got a few things I want to talk to you about. I'm going to talk, have a bit of a, um, a meta chat about podcasts. Um, the first thing that I want to ask you is um, your name. How regularly do people call you Ed Morris?
1: Do you know what? Um, not as I mean, I do spend a lot of my time saying Morris with an H. That's you know when I when I have to spell it out to people. Yeah. But when people get it wrong unprompted, as indeed happened uh, yesterday in an uh, an email I saw from an from an agent, uh, it's normally Moorish, M O O R I S H. So um, as in the indeed, H H, they
0: spell it wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah but the, but yeah. because
1: it's not morris because i think Moorish uh is just a more familiar sh- surname mm. so uh that's that's the more common misspelling did uh, i pronounce it right unprompted morish yeah i once got when i worked in a supermarket uh someone once called for me over the intercom uh, i worked in the, my local um safeways when i was a, a teenager and uh they went for marish wow and i don't know what's going on with that uh, you've really got to <laughs> Stretch to come to that pronunciation. I like Morish, Marish, Marish. Marish. now nah, that's nah. that's space cowboy, isn't
0: it? It is very much so. Well, I can sympathize because my name's <coughs> one of those slightly manual names which people have butchered over the years. So I've had Sachin, Sachin, Sachin. People put a very hard T in there. yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm quite relaxed about my name being spelt wrong or pronounced wrong. So it's, um, but I can also emphasize
1: and-
0: as well. As, as I said in the introduction, award-winning audio producer, um, and very funny man on Twitter. That's how, how I've come to know you. I don't, I don't get
1: paid for the Twitter stuff. Yeah, that is what you say. yeah, you should
0: do. You're very good. <laughs> you, pro- you, you provide excellent value. Uh, and occasionally, um, I've seen you post tweets on Twitter where you've had, um, you've had a dig at podcasts, and the sheer number there are right now. And as someone who currently hosts two podcasts, I have to say... I find it very, very amusing. Um, I do laugh <laughs> you're absolutely right. There are way too many podcasts. Uh, everyone's got one. I think there's probably been a surge during lockdown as well. Um, you produce an excellent one yourself. Any stupid questions? And if I may ask you a question, being an expert in the field, mm. what are your, your sort of big do's and don'ts in terms of producing a podcast. Um, I guess finding a niche is important. And something I'm also curious about, something I've asked other people about, and I can't get a universal answer on really, it, perhaps because there isn't one. Can podcast episodes be too long lengthwise in terms of how many uh, minutes they last?
1: Yeah, well, okay. So this is going to be uh, quite a multifaceted answer. Um, I do take the piss out of podcasts I do take the piss out of Radio 4 I also love podcasts and I also love Radio 4 I mean I take the piss out of Leeds United a lot and I love Leeds United so uh, it should all be taken uh, in a certain style so the thing about podcasts is there's so much space for them if you're pitching to a broadcaster who has a finite amount of bandwidth and a finite amount of money they are not interested in duplicating uh, anything so if they've got a a sitcom set on a small airline, and you pitch them a sitcom set on a small airline, they'll like. Well, why would we commission this as well? And in podcasting, that's not the case because you're doing it yourself, you're putting it out there yourself, and uh, it's the equivalent. You know, I'm um, on Amazon. If you like this, you'll also like. So, a uh, uh, someone with a lot of money and someone with a you know infinite space of the internet could theoretically go. Um, oh, people love sitcoms set on small airlines. So let's have another one because, you know, the people who made that can't make two series a year. So we'll have more like that. And you can sort of double up on that sort of um, perpetual growth thing. Um, That said, uh, I think there are a lot of podcasts that do overlap. A lot of people have uh, ideas of what they do that's unique, that maybe an objective analysis wouldn't stand up, but I'm sort of in favor of people doing it and finding out. I think... Mm thing i it's all taste as well because you say is there such thing as a too long podcast episode i would argue an hour is that's like if we do more than an hour i I really need something spectacular to be happening because i've got uh kids i've got work i've you know spent time (laughs) talking to my wife uh the um about how we're not gonna have any more kids uh (laughs) but, but the But I know people who listen to like three, four hour podcasts. Uh, Someone was saying that she listened to a five hour podcast on a flight. And I was like, but how do you take in five hours of being talked to? And she went, oh, you drift in and out. Like, well, you're not listening then. But that's the way that you switch on five live of an afternoon. You dip in and out. You're not uh, hanging on every single word. You come in and Mm. you listen for a bit and then something happens. So I think it's interesting how podcasting is replicating some of the more uh, time unpressured elements of radio but i think for, because for me there's a quite transactional nature for audio which is if i'm listening to you you better have something to say yeah Or you better yeah you know, even if that is just it's a load of good jokes you know there is no uh, <laughs> there's no moral coda to an episode of milton jones it's just a load of really good jokes in a row that all make sense and get funnier and funnier because of the context and that's fine that's that's the deal with that show that's the deal with uh, john Finnemore's souvenir program which i produce is that mm. we're just going to do a sketch and then another sketch and they're all going to be really good sketches and there'll be a song and then there'll be a sketch um whereas someone with any stupid questions quite a lot of the editing process of that is taking out anything that isn't about that subject mm. because if i've promised you 40 minutes on housing policy i think you as a listener would get annoyed with me if I gave you 40 minutes on housing policy and 20 minutes about other stuff in the middle of that, because it's like, well, no, you, I listen to this to find out everything I need to know about the British empire or immigration or housing or Northern Ireland or whatever it would be. Um, and so it's, I, I think editing is a good thing because yeah. you get to the uh, focus, yeah. you get to the point. Um, this uh, I I've been talking for seven hours now and, and <laughs> I'll be like two minutes um so i think uh i think if you're doing a podcast it, the, the, the only people who genuinely annoy me are people who have nothing to say yeah. they want a podcast because a podcast has some sort of status they've not thought about what they want to talk about what they want to talk to it and even if it's like i want to talk to other people and interview them that can be a thing because it would drive you to do a, a good interview but there are i've heard several podcasts where it's just people talking and you go you haven't actually thought About Mm. any of this, and I don't know why you're doing it. And you know, to me, that's no different to letting the people who call into LBC have their own show. So, answering your
0: question. I can't remember. No, no, it's a fact. No, it's a fascinating answer. Um, yeah, I think it's really interesting. I mean, I've I've got massive into podcasts in the last four or five years, and I find it interesting to use that maybe slightly horrible word "scene" and. I think what you, you what you say about, you know, you you kind of there's a moral contract almost mm-hmm. with a listener and they're coming for something and if you give them sort of crap around the main bit, that's you've sort of broken the contract in a way. And I think it's mm-hmm. interesting because the other podcast I host, which I now do intermittently, but did quite regularly last year, which is called Is This Thing On, which is with a friend of mine, Lindsay Bowers, which is just a kind of it is a kind of just chat and lifestyle cultural mm-hmm. podcast. Um I edit that podcast as, uh, and I edit this one as well and I was very harsh on the editing there very much your mindset i thought it should not be any longer than an hour hour 10 minutes tops and so i would take a lot out and then afterwards i sort of thought i'd listen back to and thought oh that bit where we chatted about that i should have just left that in that was quite good actually and that's gone forever now i can never get that back so on this podcast i'm a bit more relaxed and i leave things in and we're doing this is the second episode of series two the that uh, episode one was in miles jacobson he's a watford fan he's a great guy the guy behind football manager uh,
1: absolute yeah hero of my he- yeah uh,
0: hero of our generation uh, yeah. yeah how
1: that bastard owes me about eighteen thousand hours of my life yeah.
0: back he's taken our lives <laughs> and made a lot of money out of it um but that that one that's gone beyond an hour and a half and i was i was editing it and i just thought I, I knew it was going to be long because we chatted for ages and I thought mm. I better cut that back quite tight. But then it was just so good. Like he was so interesting and funny and insightful and passionate. And I just so I left it in. And during lockdown, I, I did a little Twitter thread where I said to people, um, asked me a few questions about podcasts. I said, Are oh, you listening to a few podcasts because of lockdown? Because you haven't got your commute. Um, mm. which is I think a, a time when often a lot of people listen to podcasts. And the podcast if you have stopped listening to podcasts because you're no longer doing commute because you're trapped at home would you listen to them if they were shorter and i've got a very mixed response and some people say well, length isn't really an issue to me if it's an hour and a half an hour 40 minutes it doesn't really matter so uh, yeah the length thing is strange but i'm sort of like you i listen to quite a few podcasts when they just start drifting and the, you know you know you can, you can kind of see on your little meter on your phone that you know you're one hour in there's still another 40 minutes to go and it's already drifting i get quite yeah. angry and i'm kind of like You should be tightening us up, mate, whoever the host of that podcast is. One thing I think is really interesting.
1: Well, uh, Helen Zaltzman, who does the Fantastic Illusionist podcast, um, I was talking to her once about that. That that moment when you're editing and you realise you've stopped listening to your own podcast. Yeah, yeah. And then I said, it's really annoying because you have to go back and start again because you have to. And she was like, yeah, but that is a clue that you should cut it. Yeah. No, even you aren't interested yeah. so if you're ed- if you're listening to a podcast and uh you just find yourself drifting off yeah go back to when you were last interested and cut that
0: right let's talk about uh the main topic uh, of discussion for this podcast and that is Leeds United um so uh we'll get into obviously your your life supporting Leeds um and everything you've gone through and your memories and your experiences before we do that I just want to come to the present day first um mm. So I have been absolutely blown away by how Leeds have played this season. I think like a lot of people, um, the, I, the first game of the season was Liverpool. They're the team I support. And despite yes, despite being a Liverpool fan, I was almost willing Leeds to just keep attacking us. I just thought it was it was such a thrilling performance at Anfield on that opening day. Um, even though I wanted Liverpool to win the game, I sort of wanted Leeds to just keep coming at us and scoring goals because it was it was just, the football was just absolutely breathtaking. It was absolutely thrilling. Um has it always been under been this way under Marcelo Bielsa because uh, for my sins, I didn't watch a second of you guys in the championship. So I knew you were this really exciting, interesting, dynamic attacking team, but I hadn't seen any of it. And it really caught me by surprise on that opening game against Liverpool this season. Um, Has it been any different at all to how it was in the championship under Bielsa?
1: No. It really hasn't. Um, If you go back and watch that first game under Bielsa, it's home against Stoke on the first day of the, uh, what, two seasons ago, two full Mm, seasons ago. yeah, Um, They, you know, we were new manager, not many big names. You know, we hadn't spent a lot of money. We brought in this sort of, you know, maverick genius who, uh, you know, We heard about and then looked up on wikipedia and pretended oh yeah yeah well of course we know about from his his Mercedes. yeah yeah of course we know about him from from that um and but stoke had just been relegated uh and we hadn't done and we took them apart i mean it was just sort of what i didn't know you could do that with these players Mm. um and then to see and you know sort of there are it does break down it does uh lead to when you get it wrong you really suffer um some of the players brought in couldn't uh play that way i, th- I think fundamentally um what i've picked up is that marcelo Biasa does not see a theoretical difference between training and playing so the training all the players will tell you is the hardest they've ever done yeah. everyone and everyone, everyone who's played under Bielsa will say you don't train harder. But I think the flip side of that is that you're supposed to play the same way that you train, which is not to get caught up in the game situation. It's to repeat these drills. And I think the players that have thrived under Bielsa are the ones who have adapted to that sort of immediate thinking, let's get into these moves. Let's start, let's start this process. Ah, he's there, that means I do this. Yeah. Uh, if you look at players like Stuart Dallas, uh Matez Klee, uh Luke Ayling, none of those players are would, would be in someone's FIFA ultimate team. Mm. <laughs> they're not yeah. they're not amazing, skillful, ball juggling, you know, not Ronaldo, they're not Messi. But the way these guys combine with their teammates is Thrilling, and they do it at pace and they do it without thinking. I think where Leeds have gone wrong this season, it's the matches where we started overthinking it because we. it reminds me a little bit when we get it wrong of that late era thing at Arsenal okay. where they would play these beautiful balls mm. up to the edge of the opposition area and then stop mm. and just look for that perfect ball through. What do I do next? Which gives the opposition just that little bit of time to get back in position. Yeah. And then you're just like knocking it around the edge of the and they're lining up in banks of uh banks of two <laughs> two banks of four. And it's like, well you can't do anything now. You hmm. you had to take that shot. And a lot of t- you know, players don't want to give away possession. So I'll have a shot, but if I miss they've got a goal kick and what's of scan. And it, the the point of the way that leads play is to be incredibly fast. Unstoppably fast mm. and unstoppably fluid. I, I, did you see the Man City match? The league yeah. Man City match,
0: the one all draw at Ellen Road. I mean, that's genuinely yeah. one of my favourite games of the season. I thought it's absolutely astonishing, high quality, uh, thrilling football.
1: Yeah, and one of the I, I, I tweeted about this because so one of the commentators said there's just no shape to this game, and you go, there's no shape to the Terminator and Terminator Two. <laughs> that's sort of why it works. Like it's supposed to be fluid. My, my big thesis on Bielsa is he's obsessed with hard work. And a lot of managers will say they are. And we've had a lot of managers over the last 20 years who were like, oh, we need to put a shift in. But they looked at that quite cynically as what does it take to for us, a less good team, to stop the better team? Like, What positions do we need to be in? How far back do we need to defend? Marcelo Biasa was genuinely interested in hard work in the sense of what does it take to get better? That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. If, if we're going to play like this, we need to be fitter. So your body fat needs to come down. That's hard. That is harder than, you know, getting Michael Brown in the middle of midfield <laughs> to just kick anyone yeah. who runs more than five yards with the board and, and pick up a yellow card every three games. Like that's harder. It's harder to be good. And that's why when it goes wrong, like it did against Manchester United, it goes spectacularly wrong it goes, it's disaster. But putting in that hard work, you don't get, you know, the the game before Manchester United, we beat Newcastle 5-2. And I don't think you get that result unless you get the, unless you take the type of gameplay that loses you 6-2 at Old Trafford. Mm. The amazing thing about 6-2, it's it's, Man U. I don't want to polarise anyone here, but I don't like them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a Leeds United fan. I don't like Manchester United. There's a lot of reasons for that. Um, I didn't really care. Like, I think it would have annoyed me if we'd sat back and lost two or three nil because you go, well, what are we doing? But we just no, this is how we play. And if it goes wrong, it goes wrong. And we keep going. And the fact that we've got that second goal, like with uh, a few minutes to go, like (laughs) still going for it. We haven't gone. Let's not concede seven. We've gone. We'll just carry on. It's, 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 it's it's Kipling. It's triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. And I think, putting in the hard work increases your chances of doing better. They, they, but they've been, it's been like this for three seasons. And the reason people don't appreciate that is because of the one game against Derby County where we self-destructed.
0: Yeah, that was a game. Ellen Road wasn't it? the 2019 playoff semi finals. Um, I mean, the Kipling point is, is really good, yeah. and that, that is reflected in the results this season. I've just got a batch of them this season. They are absolutely batshit mad. So, as I, as I um, referred to <laughs> earlier, the opening day of the season, uh, Liverpool 4, Leeds 3. There was then Leeds 4, Fulham 3. Aston Villa nil Leeds 3. Uh, the next game after that was Great Leeds game. 1, Leicester 4. The game after that was Crystal Palace 4, Leeds 1. Then you had, uh, I think you, you refer to this, Leeds 5, Newcastle 2. The next game after that is the one you you spoke about. Manchester United 6, Leeds 2. Uh, and then relatively recently in the FA Cup, you had Crawley 3, Leeds nil. Mm. And on the Sunday before we're recording this, Leicester 1, Leeds 3, where you're absolutely fantastic against a very good Leicester team. Um, and I guess this is all kind of just sort of folds into this uh, again. And you refer to this almost a, a broader philosophical argument around Leeds this season. I think it really sprung up after that United game. Some people saying, look, Leeds have got to adapt and become a bit more pragmatic if they actually want to achieve anything this season. If they want to perhaps get into Europe, um, or first of all, stay, you know, make sure they keep their Premier League status and then perhaps push for Europe, even push for a trophy. And a lot of Leeds fans I saw on Twitter kicking back and saying, no, we love this. We'll t- whatever the consequence of this is, even if it's relegation, we'll take it. Um, are, are you, it feels like listening to you speak, you're very much the latter. Like The ride is absolutely brilliant and thrilling. And whatever, wherever it leads, you're, you're 100% invested in it.
1: Yeah. Although what I will say is, uh, you and I are old enough to remember when, uh, Newcastle fans were saying that the brand of football they were playing under Kevin Keegan was just so thrilling. They didn't mind if they won. And people said the same about various Tottenham teams. You know, really? as long as we're playing with yeah. swashbuckling, swashbuckling football, that's what matters. Um, there will come a point after a few years of knocking around the top half where you start going, well, what's the point? Mm. What's, what's the point of this carrying on? At the moment, obviously, Leeds are nowhere near that. Have you got a favourite Bielsa story, stroke f- foible? I mean, obviously, the well-known things are he lives in
0: a one-bedroom flat above his shop. He holds his staff meetings in a local Costa coffee shop. And he, he walks around Leeds, I think, with a saint for his Bag of Life as well. I mean, these are the, the great tales around him. Have you got any of those are your personal favourites? Have you got any others that you enjoy hearing about?
1: Well, I just think... It's the absolute commitment to character, the commitment to humility. So I think my favourite Bielsa story is the first day at Leeds where he made the players walk around picking up litter. Yeah, I'm aware of that. He made them do it for a couple of hours. And when they finished and they got their sacks and they got their litter pickers and their gloves and stuff, and he said, right, that's how much work at minimum wage the fans had to do mm. to afford a ticket to see you. That's what we're dealing with. That's that's the expectation. Make that worth it for them. And I think that obsession with you know, the, did you hear the story about Patrick Bamford donating five thousand pounds worth of computer equipment? No, not with that. Five thousand pounds of equipment. Yeah, he he just bought five thousand pounds worth of computers for schools in Leeds.
0: Because okay. he heard there were
1: kids who didn't have yeah. laptops for home learning. So he, he bought them some. Oh, wow. Um, Bielsa's quote was, um, he was asked about that in a press conference. And he said, uh, it's it's hard to achieve a state of excellence without humanity. I mean, compared to what Jose Mourinho is quite famously on record <laughs> saying to Tottenham, like, it's hard to be good unless you're a good person. And I think yeah. it's that humility. that That's why johnny big bollocks doesn't work at leeds anymore
0: um excellent right let's go back to the very very start then simple question why is ed morris a leeds fan
1: i'm from leeds simple. i know that's uh, h- hence the accent uh, i was going to
0: ask yeah yeah, yeah. where's <laughs> it
1: gone um <laughs> the, no uh, i know ne- i never had a leeds accent my uh my dad uh is from um uh i try to remember the the, the county um Sussex. He's from Sussex, okay. uh, but he grew up uh, across the south of England. His dad was a farmer. He went to a boarding school because dad was his, his dad was moving around. Um, so he sounds like this. He sounds RP. Uh, my mum's from Wolverhampton, uh, quite a rough bit of Wolverhampton at the time, technical. Um and then she went to teach in London and quickly found out that the Wolfronian accent, as delightful as it is, is uh, <laughs> kind of hard to teach. Primary school kids with in Hackney, <laughs> yeah. uh, so she just started. She, she just lost her accent sort of quite. Uh, she's got a very funny story actually about how um or had one. So she's dead fifteen years now, but um she had a story about when she was teaching in Wolverhampton. actually in Walsall. I uh, know oh, that where my mum's from. A kid. Walsall. Yeah. yeah, where yeah. are you from? Well, I, I'm. I was born
0: in London, but my uh, my mum is originally from Walsall in the West Midlands. Mm-hmm. So all, all oh, so, her side of the family still live there. So I know it well. Yeah.
1: Um but the uh she was taking water and a child came up to her and said uh how how do you spell fairy and so she wrote it down in the book and the girl copied it down three times like it's supposed to went an back. and then mum went and i thought we're talking about pets what Is she claiming she's got a fairy for a pet and she went over to her and said what, what are you writing here and um and uh, you know my my accents are not my uh, strongest skill but um this little girl mm-hmm. said uh, well miss, i'm talking about my dog is all soft and fairy so <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so anyway so th- that and you know i, I lived in leeds for uh, for about six years um and then uh, my parents moved to hampshire and it seemed sensible to move with them yeah. um <laughs> uh and i ended up so I wasn't really that into football as a thing. My mum my was more of a football fan than my dad. Um, my mum had watched Billy Wright's Wolves in the 1950s. So she'd gone down to okay. Molyneux with her brother and her parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've got a lot of time for, for for Wolves. It was actually the first match I, I went to was Wolves at the old Molyneux in the old fourth division. Oh, okay. Um, anyway, so, but I, you know, so played on the playground, played for the school stuff. Um, but do you really have a sense of being a Leeds fan? Because obviously you're not going to take a six-year-old to Elland Road in 1985. That's just, you know, mm. doesn't seem a very sensible thing, especially if the parents aren't particularly um, Leeds fans. Um, so then we moved down to Hampshire and I, <laughs> I thought, well, as people started picking teams when we got to about sort of nine or 10. Um, I thought, well, I should support Leeds, but you know, we don't live there anymore. So I said, who's the local club. And what I didn't know is that Andover in and Hampshire where I grew up um, has a lot of London overspill after the war. And of course, you know, You support, who your dad supports, and your dad supports who your granddad supports, and loads of people moved to Andover in the late forties, early fifties from East London. So when I said who's the local club, they went, "We all support Spurs." So so, all right, they're the local club. No idea of the geography of (laughs) this until uh, I got taken for my twelfth birthday to White Hart Lane. What the dates, right? i think i think september 91 uh, lost 2-1 at home to manchester united terrible seats couldn't see the other end of the pitch which is where all the goals were scored oh, um and it took so long to get there i realized the time it took to get into london and across london and out to tottenham is about the same as it takes to get to leeds so i switched Oh, I, I no, I'm gonna be a Leeds fan again. And I switched between Spurs winning the FA Cup and Leeds winning the league. And that is the only time that glory hunting has ever worked out for me. <laughs> the sweet spot. The absolute <laughs> yeah, sweet spot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um so that so that's why I'm a, a a Leeds fan. And for the first well, let's say I changed at twelve. So the first six odd years of that, it's theoretical. You know, sort of, I I watch them on telly, but I'm a long way from Leeds and I don't have disposable income. But then in 1998, I went to university in Manchester, uh, and I realised you can get a train to Leeds for about seven quid, and you can get a ticket to Leeds for, you know, fifteen, or or twenty, or you know, for a Champions League match, thirty five pounds. So yeah, so then I started going to see uh, Leeds sort of um, semi regularly, and then uh, I was on a mailing list, and someone said I, I think it was moving to. He was like moving out for work for a year, and he said, "I don't want to give up my season ticket because if you give up your season ticket, you have to reapply and get joined the queue." So does anyone want to buy it off me? So for I think three years, sort of two no two years, so two thousand and one to about two thousand and three, I was going as someone else, so I bought his season ticket off yeah. him, and that gets you um you know you can buy away tickets i went to a few away matches but yeah that that's 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 my um lead united journey and then and then and then i uh got a mortgage uh so couldn't really afford the season to get anymore and then i had kids and saying and i live in the south of england i used to live in london i live in hampshire again now um the idea of saying to my wife you look after them i'm off to leeds for the entire day to watch some very underwhelming football <laughs> it's not underwhelming <laughs> yeah. now she might uh she might fully back your decision to get back up there as, as good as it's yeah, been yeah. for. i might might try and wangle a uh christmas uh, a birthday present for for next season if they're, they're when they let fans back in absolutely
0: of course yeah well we'll get on to that that then sort of what well, is clearly a golden period for you not only because of the fact you were going but the team was excellent I, just, I do want to go back to that 92 league title win which you mm-hmm. mentioned um I remember really well. We're this, I think we're the same age. I was born in 81. Sounds like you were born in the same 79. Year. 79, so a little bit older than me. But yeah, the same, absolutely same era. I remember that Leeds win really well. Um, but I think because it was pre Premier League, literally the last football mm. uh, first division season before the Premier League came in, it has been forgotten somewhat. But it was an absolutely remarkable achievement. So I should say Leeds won the title uh, with 74 points. They finished 11 points ahead of Manchester United. Uh, okay, they weren't the United. That they were going to become, but they were pretty much there. They were sort of ninety percent of the way. They are a very good team, eleven points ahead of them. But what's really remarkable is that Leeds had only been promoted back to the first division two years earlier.
1: Mm.
0: I mean, I would say there's not much difference between that success and what Leicester achieved in 2016, uh, given the circumstances. And obviously, we now talk about Leicester as the greatest thing that's ever happened in English football. I mean, so you're you know you're, you're a teenager at that stage. What are your memories of that time and and, and that team, and also. How significant did it feel to you at the time, and how significant does it feel among Leeds fans? Do they, is there a bit of resentment that we we don't talk about it more? How just remarkable that achievement was.
1: Well, I think I think in fairness, Leicester's achievement is probably greater because of where the Premier League yeah, is now. Fair point. Yeah. As opposed to where the yeah. First Division was in in 1992. I think, I mean, the wage difference was it was still based on Gate, and the fact that Leeds had the biggest crowds in any division they've been in would have meant this sort of automatic financial advantage. But the wage is probably about the same in the first division. If you're at a club that's getting 30,000 a week, they're going, well, you know, we'll work out how many people come, how much they'll pay. That's the amount of money we've got for uh, salary. And now the TV deal is so overwhelming the fact that Leicester were able to get to that position so quickly after getting promoted is sort of um sort of remarkable the fact they were able to break into that uh team in you know under 25 years is is impressive i mean how long did it take man city after their takeover it took them a couple of seasons after they became richer than god
0: yeah four years so, from takeover to first title yeah
1: and so that i i think in fairness to Leicester, it, it was a a better achievement. But the main thing I just remember about Leeds was the the completeness of that team. It just you know that it was a it, almost in a way that Bielsa does now. You know, people on the Leeds United WhatsApp I'm on are like, oh well, I'd I'd rest Harrison and give Paredes a go on the I'll move Rafinha out left, and you go, no, it's going to be the same team. It's mm. it's just going to be the same team. He's like an oil tanker Bielsa with his selection. I think Wilkinson probably less dogmatic about it, but you do look at the sort of default team and go, yeah, that, you know, if you're looking at Mel Sterling and Tony De Rigo as left back, uh, as fullbacks, those are very good defenders who can also really bomb on. John Lukic was an exceptional goalkeeper. Uh, the fact that Batty, you know, Batty was properly homegrown, uh, Gary Speed, obviously Welsh, but uh, a Leeds Academy thing, gave the gave us that ownership over it you know, one of our own, they're one of our own, you know, you look at David Batty, a man, if you've not read David Batty's autobiography, I strongly recommend it. It's one of the dullest books (laughs) you will ever read. So much so it becomes performance art. He is like David Batty uh, did not take part in the tactic sessions that Howard Wilkinson did. There was a ball on which was written bats and, Uh, Howard Wilkinson would boot it down the other end of the training pitch and said, go and play with that. We're talking about tactics. David Batty did not care. David Batty knew what he was on the pitch to do. And he did it really, really well. I think he had, he had like the third highest pass completion stats in the Premier League because had, he never tried to a, pass it more than 10 yards.
0: He's had an extraordinary career strike life. I mean, there's so many stories around him. There's the fact he got paid in cash and just, he sort of hid, hoarded all his money under his bed. Apparently um, he's got an obsession with graveyards. I believe. And I think my favorite story is when he missed that penalty for England at the 98 world cup in the, in a penalty shootout defeat to Argentina. Um, everyone came back in the dressing room afterwards and david beckham sat there in tears because he obviously got sent off and everyone's absolutely devastated and david batty just had his shower gets changed and leaves like he just wasn't asked the incredible yeah, a, Such it, a weird, you, said, well, you know,
1: yeah it's a triumphant disaster two sides of the same it's, say, it's, um, go, yeah. he was asked to take it he took it didn't work all right what's next but we also <laughs> had uh you know chapman rod wallace i mean yeah. that goal against was it against... against Tottenham one of the most Tottenham. underrated goals yeah. in
0: English history it's it just was not spoken about enough. It's, it's
1: exceptional and I just think that was the first time you go oh you can do that you're yeah. allowed to leave the pit because he knocks the ball um, look this up on YouTube Rod Rod Wallace Tottenham goal yeah. um, he plays the ball one side of the defender I think it'd be a actually. It plays one side of the guy marking him and then runs off the pitch around him Absolutely. and back on yeah, which yeah. is completely legal of course it's the ball that can't go out of play yeah. and so you just go oh that's amazing thought Wallace he's a real sprinter Rodney Wallace and he's away here
0: superbly Dean up with him Wallace what a goal you can say no more than that A supreme solo goal from Rodney Wallace and Spurs had no answer, they couldn't pen him close to the touchline, he wriggled free, there were others supporting him, but he didn't even look for them, he looked for the far corner and he found it. A goal to have all the Leeds supporters, arms in the air, on their feet, roaring their delight, they were wondering whether one would ever come here. It has, and it's well worth waiting for from Rodney Wallace,
1: but looking at the time that rod wallace Lee Chapman combination at the front was uh, was sheringham shearer. Mm. you know it is that sort of big target man who is more skillful than he's given credit for and a you know smaller, more sk- uh, skillful guy behind him picking up the loose balls. and so i think uh, it was that that first team just like there's not a floor in it. there's not a place where you go well that you know that player was sort of lucky to be in that team. you know they could have done yeah. better than them. you just look at that and go from where we were in the second division to the the minimal number of changes that needed to be made. It's sort of remarkable that that team. And because it was, you know, luckily McAllister went on to Coventry and then to Liverpool. Um, and I think, you know, he was winning you winning Liverpool trophies at the end of his career yeah. in a way that I think people appreciated what a skillful player he was. Um, and he was doing that for us. So there is still this sort of, you know, there's there's a temptation to view pre Premier League as a hoof ball and steak for breakfast. But I think it was a genuinely skillful football team by the standards of that era, and probably pretty skillful by any standard because it was managed by Howard Wilkinson, who, or if all fell apart as you know, managerial positions tend to, but. He went on to be like technical director for England and, you know, he's still someone whose analysis is is valued because he looks at the the way people play and works out how to get the most out of them.
0: One other member of that team I think we have to talk about, uh, it might cause you some pain, Eric Cantona um, arrived uh, in February 92 from Nîmes in France and then painfully for the whole of English football, uh, he joined Manchester United. Uh, in November '92, um, the, the famous, well, had now famous it is, but the yeah. Dennis Irwin story. That uh, so someone from Leeds yeah. or how Wilkinson called up Alex Ferguson, wanting to sign Dennis Irwin. He said no chance, and then he said, by the way, is Eric Cantona for sale? Uh, Leeds sold him, and obviously the rest is history. Um, I think what's in, one interesting about Cantona? There's well, obviously loads of interesting things about Cantona, but one thing I think is a lack of focus on how good he actually was. It, the focus is so much on his on his character and you know the collar and the kung fu kick. But very little, I feel, kind of reflections on just how good a player he was. He obviously must have been exceptional given what what he helped Manchester United achieve. Um, I mean, so what are your memories of him at Leeds? How good was he? I I guess he wasn't fundamental to your title in 92 because he came quite late in it. But I guess he played his Mm. part as well.
1: No, I mean, someone, I think um, Andy P, who tweets his Arctic reviews, he does a thread every time I go, oh, Cantona won the league for Leeds. And you go, hmm. Look where his goals were scored for Leeds. You know he scored a few goals, but they were normally not the equalizer, not the winner. You know uh, his uh, a few assists, obviously great for the position he was playing in. I think Cantona, um shows the value of getting the right player and the right manager and the right the right players and the right manager, because Cantona would not work under Bill, which is not to say that he wasn't a fantastic player with. Um, an incredible uh, sort of range of passing and incredible control of the ball. But I do think if you look at Cantona's lack of European success, lack of international success, that does show the limits of how far raw skill will take you because you also need the discipline to apply it. And the fact that he wasn't willing to apply it. Um, when did he retire?
0: So it, 97, 97, I think, wasn't seven, it?
1: Seven, yeah. yeah. So they like that. they didn't win the European Cup, no you know, like, yeah, yeah. like um Moses leading them to the promised yeah. land, but no further. He wasn't the right player for that sort of game. And I he wasn't the right sort of player for a Howard Wilkinson team, which is, you know, evidently a less uh appealing prospect than Alex Ferguson team, because Alex Ferguson team won a lot. Hmm. Um but I do think it's, you know, as a Leeds fan, not to say that we shouldn't have got more than £1.2 million for him, but his contribution to Leeds was not nothing, but he was not Rod Wallace. He was not Gordon Strachan. Mm. He was not Kerry McAllister. And even in that next season, you know, he, he, was, he wasn't in the team all the time. He wasn't integral because of the way that Leeds were set up just to
0: move forward then a little bit. So you finished 17th the season after you won the league, 92, 93, you finished 17th. And then the rest of, or the big chunk of the rest of the nineties was equally up and down. So between 93, 94 and 97, 98, you finished fifth, fifth, 13th, 11th and fifth under how Wilkinson and then George Graham. And in that period, you also got to the, the league cup final uh, in 96, March, 96, where you lost three nil to Aston Villa. And I know from uh, our chat uh, head of, recording this that's an important game for you do you want to explain why
1: yeah i, I think that was it's the first football wasn't as televised as much when we were children so i've got fractions but it's, it was mainly highlights it was mainly matched to mm. the day and so particular goals would stand out but on the whole that sort of watching a whole match was quite a rare thing and, and that was one where i got you know pretty excited and um you know would done quite well to get there and then the match was nothing the, ma- the it was one of those games where nobody looked asked I, it, yeah. I don't know if it was they froze or um villa were just too good it just we we to lose like that it just i couldn't believe how poor we were and that's the first sign that something's got to change like something really had to change with that team and with that management because we had been We'd never got back to that team from '92. We'd never, we hadn't improved it. We hadn't moved on. And I think that was the moment where you know, '96. Yeah, March
0: '96. Yeah.
1: That you're going. Oh, okay. There's clearly more to the you know more to this than I'm getting from TV highlights because I thought we were about the same and a bit unlucky sometimes. Clearly, this is not a good this isn't a good team anymore this yeah. is like there's that but also it's not about maybe it's not about how good they are it's about how good they can make themselves play one
0: bright spot in that period um a bright spot i think not just for leeds fans but for other fans certainly for me uh tony aboa ed morris discuss
1: Ah, oh, um what a man what a man what a thighs <laughs> uh i remember about tony Aboat. weirdly i found out we were signing him from elvis costello on fantasy football uh elvis costello big um, he's a liverpool fan isn't he tramir oh is he I thought he's a tramir overs fan fan. there you Um, go he learned something new uh well i didn't know until i made it well i sort of had this confirmed uh i went to birkenhead to make a program and um, spoke to loads of people and there's this, this um contingent of germans who come over for matches. <laughs> I just, of sure. why um no i don't know if you oh, right. say so, but but anyway um elvis costello went on fantasy football and when Legion united signing this guy from eintracht frankfurt called tony aboa he is amazing get him in your team and it's just he was like he wasn't big like he wasn't tall i don't like oh, lee don't chapman know. I always think of as, you know. Yeah, like he's got squops, threat, doesn't he, Yeboah? Sort of tanky. Yeah. But just when he decided to hit that ball, it stayed hit. Oh. I mean, the physics of what he could do to the ball just by knowing yeah. where to put his foot. There, there, there are goals against um, Wimbledon and Liverpool, yeah. the one? Yeah, yeah. They're the, um, they're the big two. The two that everyone... Yeah. But just a player who can... A player who can scare defenders is such a valuable thing because suddenly they don't know what's happening. I mean, as someone I would put in that category at the moment in a very different style of player, but Raheem Sterling. If Raheem Sterling is running at you as a defender, you're suddenly going right. Which way is he going to go? And as soon as you've started thinking, you've so you know you, you've you've increased the chance of making a mistake. And I think um, Yaboa came in, not a great team, but we did have a good UEFA Cup run. Um, I remember he scored a hat-trick against Monaco. And it's just, yeah, just the the rest of the team. I mean, this is a period where we were signing players like Lee Sharp. The team... Couldn't supply him well enough. I don't no. think. I mean, he still did all right. I think I can't remember how many goals he scored. Well,
0: least. shall I give you stats? I don't so think he got think,
1: twenty. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you because I, I have I have um, done some research on this uh, to back up my own memories of Tony Abba. So I should say to any younger people listening to this wondering what the hell we're talking about: Tony Abba was a Ghanaian striker that Leeds signed, uh, as you said, from Eintracht Frankfurt. In January 1995, Uh, he was at Leeds until September 1997. He scored 32 goals in 66 games, which is a pretty decent um, return. He was named Leeds Player of the Season in his second season at the club. So that's um, 96-97, I guess. Um, And he is best known for two iconic goals of the 90s. So there was the volley against Liverpool. In August '95, uh, very very early in that '95-'96 season, and then he got another one against Wimbledon a month later in a four-two win at Selhurst Park. He actually scored a hat trick in that game, and that goal against Wimbledon was voted the '95-'96 Premier League goal of the season. Um, I think both goals are great. I do. I'm not just saying because it was against Liverpool, but I do think the one against Wimbledon was actually better. Uh, so the ball sort of drops out of the air, he chests it. Uh, then controls on his left knee, then faints past uh, Wimbledon defender, I hadn't heard of actually, Alan Reeves, and then gets about the edge of the area and just drills it into the top corner of his right foot. Absolutely unstoppable shot. And yeah, he was just kind of a cult figure at the time. I mean, I get my sense is Leeds fans adored him. But as I said, as a non-Leeds fan, I absolutely loved him. He just wanted to, he was in that sort of wave of really exciting foreign talent that came to this country, the likes of, along with the likes of Georgie Clancy and... Klinsmann, Dimitrescu, Burkamp—just uh, that wave of really exciting, exotic talent you hadn't didn't know much about. They landed here, and it took your breath away. And Yobo was almost a p- poster boy for that. I think
1: Yeboa sort of felt uh, very exotic. I mean, um, Leeds United obviously has had a terrible problem with racism uh, throughout our history, and despite that, um, we've had amazing uh, black players that you know uh did far better than some of our fans deserved, starting with, you know, Albert Johansson, who's uh the I think the first black man to win an FA Cup, uh, and Lucas Radaby, uh, who's one of our all-time greatest players, uh, uh but also a icon for South Africa. And Tony Iboa just sort of like, you know, well, he's not Lee Chapman. You wouldn't, wouldn't find him down on the pub on a Friday night. No, you wouldn't. And, and you know what he can do. Uh, so I think he just felt like this. If I try to think of, he felt like he'd opened us up to, oh, that's what we can be. That if we had more players like him, we, that's the way out almost. Um, and sort of giving up a bit on signing right backs for £200,000 from Sheffield Wednesday uh, because they've fallen out of favour there and they can do a job. You go, no, actually, you can aim for these incredibly exciting, incredibly technically skilled players who can do things with the football that you've never seen before. There we go towards Wallace. Back here. And there's the strike. Wonderful goal. Wonderful Yaboa. Boy, do they love him at Road. James never saw it. Well, he did it to West Ham on Saturday. And this man is quite sensational around the goal-scoring area. He doesn't even look up. Di whacks it in there. Wallace nods it down. And look at that for a venomous strike. Tony Yeboah, the new darling of Ellen Road, hammers it into the roof of the Liverpool net. And his record
0: now... Is 15 in 20 games, and that is why. 51 minutes gone at Elland Road, Leeds one Liverpool nil. You won't see many more spectacular goals than that all season. Talking about Ebora not uh, not going, not having a pint or not drinking, there is this. I don't know if you've heard it. This great story. I don't know if it's true or just a myth that whenever they'd go on team bonding sessions, when Yoboa was at the club the, the Leeds players and everyone else was sat around the table in the pub, having a pint and Yoboa didn't drink. So he would match every pint they had, uh, that they drunk with a Sunday dinner. He'd have a full roast. <laughs> so he'd have, you know, potato, meat, veg, uh, gravy, Yorkshire pudding, the whole lot. So if, so like Gary McAllister had four <laughs> pints, he'd have four roast dinners. I mean, it can't be true because it, it have killed him, but I, you know, it's one of those stories. you absolutely, you absolutely hope is true. Um, yeah no just as i said icon icon of that era um and one of those sort of figures that makes me sort of pine for the 90s it was just a great time to watch football and moving towards the end of the 90s and then what i guess perhaps is your golden period supporting leagues because uh, as, mm. as you touched on earlier you were you were going you were i think season tick older you're going regularly to watch a team play mm. and the team then at the end of the 90s going into the noughties was really really good so this is a david o'leary david o'leary era mm. Between uh, 98, 99 and uh, 2001, 2002, you finish fourth, third, fourth and fifth. You get to the Champions League semi finals, where you lost to Valencia over two legs. And that team was was just exceptional, wasn't it? The likes of Rio Ferdinand, Ian Hart, Oliver Dacour, Batty, uh, had, uh, having come back, having left um, in 93, came back via uh, Newcastle, Harry Kuehl, Mark Vaduka, Alan Smith, Lee Bowyer, Robbie Keane. It goes on and on and on. It was a great team. It arguably should have won at least one title. Um, yeah, do you just want to talk about your memories of that time? must have been really, really exciting to be a lead kind fan of that period.
1: Yeah, it was like it's interesting because the, the the thing about that Champions League run is we had so many injuries that loads of players who wouldn't otherwise have got in the first team. You know, if you're going to play Lazio, you know, you, you ideally you wouldn't be playing Michael Dubery and Danny Mills at centre half. So, one thing that I think is different about the O'Leary era to the, the, the Wilkinson era is that, you know, in those days, it was the team with a few subs. And by the time you get to the turn of the millennium, you're very much looking at a squad. So, we had Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, mm-hmm. who, as I recall, agitated for a move, and Peter Ridgedale in one of those, um, financial decisions for which he is well known gave the entire transfer fee to David O'Leary and said right replace like for like and we brought in uh Mark Vaduka if you look at the attacking team we ended up with the, the, just the attackers so Harry Kewell was really thought of as a left winger but I think he was a left winger in the same way that Thierry Henry was a left winger which is he is an attacking player who is left footed yeah. and therefore you can fit him in the team by putting him yeah to the left of the uh, strike fourth and asking him to track back but really he should be a floating number 10, uh, the Smith came through. We had Michael Bridges, who, uh, was a phenomenally talented player. He was
0: really good. Wasn't he? And then got blood. Yeah. He did, he? yeah, yeah it was
1: injuries. He he yeah. would have played for England. Yeah. Um, but when he got injured, then we brought in Robbie Keane and then Robbie Fowler, um, which I remember Robbie Fowler scored the winner, scored a, an amazing chipped goal against West Ham on New Year's Day in 2000, 2000, no, 2002 to uh, take us top of the league for 24 hours. Um, and, and it never got better <laughs> <laughs> after that. Just going, oh no, we have seven strikers. All of whom are massive. Move, yeah. Um, and we don't have any left backs. If Ian Hart gets injured, um, I think the fact that there was such a homegrown element to it because we had so many injuries all these players coming through even someone like Erik Bakker who sorry Norwegian uh, midfielder uh it was fantastic control very good in the air uh, he was he was a good good player would not get in the team ahead of Bowyer or David Batty but if they're injured you know happy to step up but I, so I think there were loads of players. we were exposed to the squad through injuries um and the fact that, you know, I'm not sure Dominic Matteo would have expected quite so much game time coming to a club where there was Lucas Radobi and Jonathan Woodgate mm. in defence. But then he scored that goal at the San Siro uh, that I think got us a one, one all draw there and uh, is a cult hero at Leeds. There's songs about him. Mm. Um, all these players, it, it was the underdog nature of that Champions League run. That really sort of galvanised it because you get you get drawn in a group against Real Madrid and AC Milan and Fenerbahce. You don't expect to get out of that, do you? And if
0: there were two
1: like groups that. as well, wasn't it? Wasn't that wasn't that, that mad little spell with two
0: group stages? you absolutely mad. If you look back and think, that we're yeah, yeah. That as fans, because so I remember Liverpool six... doing that as
1: well. Yeah, and also it was that slightly unfair thing where if you got knocked out of the first group stage, the Champions League team would go into the uefa cup yeah um so it was sort of oh rich clubs poor poor rich clubs make sure they get enough tv money so then we got out of a group with so lazio Besiktas. so the second group was lazio Besiktas, and real madrid the first group was barcelona milan and andalect um and we weren't supposed to get out of any of them mm. In fact, in really tough uh, when, we pl- when we played Deportivo in the quarterfinals after the two group stages, one of their players had said, we're glad we got Leeds United because they're the weakest team left in the competition. And so when we went 3-0 up uh, at Elland Road, which I still have on VHS, <laughs> you uh, the entire stadium started singing 3-0 to the weakest team 3-0. <laughs> <three-nil." laughs> The final whistle goes, job done! Job wonderfully done! Leeds
0: needed a draw, they have a draw, and they now anticipate the draw for the continent's elite 16, excluded from which are Barcelona. Just shudder at the thought of the new Camp now, but delight in the sight of the San Siro, Milan, Yorkshire. Dominic Matteo, the goal-scoring hero. Robinson, the goalkeeping hero. Shevchenko missed a penalty. Serginio scored a wonderful equaliser, all
1: of which counts for little now because Leeds have done what seemed to be beyond them. Your, your favourite teams are always the most successful ones. Your favourite teams are also the most attractive ones. And that Leeds team didn't win anything. So technically, was it as good as Howard Wilkinson's championship winners? I think it was fun to watch. It was thrilling. It was, they kept having a go. Partly the lack of experience meant they were fearless. You know, that you had this really experienced by Nigel Martin, who I think is probably the greatest goalkeeper Leeds have ever had. Um, Lucas Radaby in defense, David Batty in midfield and around that, Buzzing around that, you've got Youth Academy. Great, Gary Kelly was actually quite old by this point, but um, Gary Kelly's a youth player, uh, Ian Hart's a youth player, Jonathan Woodgate's a youth player, uh, David Vashi returning as a youth player. You've got Harry Kuehl as a youth player, uh, Alan Smith, uh, none more leads running around, causing problems for everyone, looking to attack every chance they get. I think it fell apart with the money when we, you know, when we realized. When we didn't qualify for the Champions League in 2001, yeah. that was when, yeah, it sort of... Because we finished fourth in the last year, that finishing fourth didn't get you into the Champions mm. League.
0: Well, you're battling with Liverpool, so. and yeah, I remember there was a crucial year that year in terms of third. You needed to get third. Um, you, I think you'd mm. got third the year before over us. In the ninety nine 2000 you finished third, we finished fourth. And so you got in, we didn't. And then the following year, it was the last year, I think, where third was the minimum but we got it and you got fourth. And so fourth that year was not good enough. And yeah.
1: yeah. Um, and so we did, and we'd and gambled on all we the Champions up. League money coming yeah. in. And uh, so realizing that's not coming now. And so we have to sell Rio Ferdinand.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you spoke about you comparing the, you know, which team's better than, than the championship winning team in 92 or that Leeds team. Well, David Batty, your friend of mine, who've mentioned a few times his podcast, he actually has gone on record. He played obviously in both teams mm. and he says, in his opinion, he has said that the, the, the O'Leary team was, was better, was just a better football team. And I think that's almost reflected in the fact that, we'll come on to this later, you've picked an all-time Leeds eleven for this podcast, which is very good of you. And six of the players in your team are from that era. Mm. And as you also say, ultimately fell apart because of the financial situation. In the summer of 2002, there was basically a fire sale. Uh, Ferdinand, Woodgate, Keen Boyer, and Robbie Fowle all left around that period. And yeah, Peter Isdale was at the heart of all that. And uh, yeah, what what happened essentially, to summarise, as, as you said, as you, as you touched on, you took out huge loans against a prospect uh, of the share of TV rights and sponsorship revenues from Champions League qualification and subsequent progress in the competition, and you didn't qualify in 2001. It all fell apart, and Leeds were relegated in 2004. I mean, what I'm curious about is how is Risdale viewed among Leeds fans? Is he seen as a man who gave you this fantastic period for sort of a period of about four or five years, or is he ultimately seen as the guy who then was the instigator of a truly terrible period of about 20 years that followed. I mean, if Peter Isdar walked into your local pub, would you buy him a pint?
1: <laughs> I demand he buy me one. Uh, and <laughs> it's yeah. seven times more expensive than <laughs> it says on the... Bu- uh, there there <laughs> was one financial manoeuvre they did where they, they borrowed money against the value of the homegrown players. Really? So essentially you're paying a transfer fee for the kids you've brought through the youth development system which is baffling. I think Peter Ritzel is I think Leeds Fansteam is a bit of a joke now. Um, he is outgoing we lived the dream speech is not taken as the act of contrition that was perhaps needed mm. for making making those financial calls and lots of them you know, uh, we, we bought Seth Johnson for, I think it was 11. There's there's a story about Seth Johnson, which I'm sure is not true. I've asked football journalists if they Well, know. I was going to say, true. one um, of
0: my favourite stories around this time is the Seth Johnson story. I think, is it the negotiation story?
1: Yeah, yeah where they've, well, it the story goes something thing, like, yeah. he's a very promising left back and he goes up and he's with his his agent and they say, well, look, we'll ask for £15,000 a week because you're on seven, but we might get 10 to 12. And they walk in, and Ridgedale's first, he says, um, okay, we can pay you 25 grand a week, but not a penny more. And they're stunned into silence, and he goes, all right, how about 30, final offer? I think it would be different if we'd won anything. Like, if we'd won a trophy...
0: There was almost some sort of legacy from that period, been, yeah, a tangible legacy. Yeah, perhaps.
1: but I think, I think because he didn't, and because it wasn't just... It wasn't just that he signed players like Rio Ferdinand. He paid eighteen million pounds, which I think was a record for a British defender, and sold him for thirty million pounds. It wasn't just that he brought in big name players who he then had to sell. It's that the entire management of the club, from the from Thorparch up, was put in Hock. Hmm. I think that's what people don't forgive. It wasn't a big name signing who didn't work out, or a few big name signings, because you can, you know. Even if you have to sell them at a slight loss, you'll get them off the wages. It's the fact that all these players were on such inflated wages. All these players were mortgaged to pay for other players whose wages we then couldn't afford and we couldn't afford the repayment. So I think it's the fact that the whole club went that means that he's not not looked back warmly by almost any Leeds fan I can think of
0: no it's fair enough and yeah as i said you were relegated in 2004 um there's that famous image there of that little boy crying at bolton away and i was sort of thinking yeah. just now he's probably in his sort of mid-20s now i don't know how old he was at the well time, they tracked they him they? down
1: oh did they they tracked him down yeah 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 um when we got promoted they tracked him down um, oh, okay what's the opposite uh, he's got a kid of his own oh, wow. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's know, how long <laughs> how long yeah, we've been yeah. away um yeah no it's, I'll, I'll find it for you it's yeah. um it's it's sort of really stirring that he's uh, still a Leeds fan, still going. Yeah,
0: I <laughs> well, so, uh, I just I was curious. What? Was, so you're in your what? Are you, you're 40s. In your forties. Your yeah. Know, I was going to say, how old are you in 2000s Of course, you're in your mid twenties, then mm. maybe late twenties. Are you going to, yeah, early 20s. going to? a lot of games at a time. What you? I mean, was that the lowest point in your time following Leeds? Was it painful following the team at that time? Are you going to um, many games?
1: It was around. So I stopped going 2002 2003 which was okay. the season before we got relegated. So mm-hmm. it might have been my fault. Um, <laughs> but as I said I bought a I think it's definitely Beavis's so, fault. Um maybe Paul Ocon. I don't know. Um <laughs> I don't know. but I think yeah Paul Ocon was the uh, Australian player we bought to replace Olivier Dacor and um not like for like. Uh but i I said, I, I bought a house with my um, now wife and uh, girlfriend. And so you're making decisions on what you're spending money on. And I remember phoning her after a match and we'd won. so a match in 2002, 2003. We'd won. And I was just describing how dreadful it was. I was just like, oh, yeah, we got away with it. But God, the defence, I don't know what we're doing there. And I can't believe we actually scored. And my... My wife said, why do you go? You never enjoy it. And so when I was looking at what am I going to do with, you know, do I want to spend this few hundred pounds next season for the right to spend a few hundred more pounds on trains to yeah. spend my Saturdays largely being miserable? I just thought, ah, that's probably, that's probably a sign. I just, I, do you know what? There's the memory, the last home match of 2000 and. 3 Harry when did Harry Kewell move to Liverpool
0: He moved to Liverpool in the summer of 2003 remember it well So my yeah time. his last season Leeds was 0203 your last season as a season ticket older
1: Yeah 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 <laughs> so Kewell was supposed to have been in the team for the, my last home match and at the last minute he was not in it and the rumor was that he'd refused to play because he was lining up a, a transfer to Liverpool and didn't want to get injured and I turned to the bloke next to me, whose name I forgot within about three weeks of taking up a season ticket and didn't dare ask. So I just called him mate. I said, uh, they said, oh, he's, he's, he got there late. He said, it's Kiel cool not playing. And I went, no, nah, he's seeing what the uh, commute's like down to Liverpool. And the bloke behind me went, if you don't shut up, I'm going to kick the fuck out of you.
0: Jesus, <laughs> Tensions were all... mounting at that stage, weren't they, among the Leeds yeah. fan base? But,
1: mm, yeah, that's sort of, yeah, yeah, what the atmosphere was like. Yeah, I was trying to be, you know... Yeah. Slightly, you know, just saying what everyone had said, but a slightly archway, and everyone was like, no.
0: "Post relegation, I mean, that that's a low point." But the period after that, up until you, you know, obviously Bielsa arrives, I mean, it was absolutely terrible. So just to, just some of the lowlights: uh, Ken Bates becomes your chairman. You go into administration. That leads to a ten-point deduction, which in turn leads to relegation to League One. There's then a fifteen-point deduction, and then the whole Massimo Cellino era, where you've got basically a different manager every three days. Um, That entire period, I mean, was it, is it just utterly joyless or do you almost become numb to it? Do you have to sort of go into gallus humour mode? Is there anything you can take out of that? I mean, it's a long period as well. So I guess you've got to, you've got to learn to live with it and learn learn to live through it as well.
1: Well, I'm, you know, I work in comedy. So a lot of my professional instincts come in and you just go, well, what's funny about that? Mm. (laughs) In fact, someone, um, I think it was Moscow White on, on Twitter who wrote, like fifty thousand words on what had happened between Leeds getting relegated and Leeds getting promoted. It's all the stuff you've forgotten about, and I just I, I retweeted it saying, "Read this and tell me that being a football fan isn't a form of mental illness." Yeah. Like to go through all that yeah. and have forgotten To forgot about the time that seven players refused to play. To have oh, forgotten yeah. about um, the time the that, <laughs> um, that the friendly match, the team we were playing at friendly match didn't turn up, so they played a like a local youth team instead. Like the Tell me you won that, that game uh, against uh, the
0: kids. Against
1: literally. Yeah, battered kids. Them. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely battered <laughs> something, them. Something, I guess. Um, yeah, it does get to a point. I think it's interesting. I think being a one club city helps because it's not I, I lived in Manchester, I was at the University of Manchester when Manchester United won the European won the European Cup, completing a treble. And that was the season that Manchester City won the playoff final to get yeah. out of the third division back into the second division. And they were planning, when they got promoted, to have an open-top bus route, uh, an open-top bus parade yeah. to celebrate getting back into the championship. <laughs> and then the team from Salford, just down the road, <laughs> suddenly they've got the European Cup and they can't celebrate. Yeah. so in a sense we we never we were never competing with Bradford we were definitely never competing with Farsley who the other club in Leeds are like very low level so in a way we were just allowed to wallow with it um, and being mocked by Chelsea fans or Manchester United fans or these teams with whom we've had a, a rivalry doesn't hit home as hard as the people across the city yeah that makes making sense. fun of you yeah
0: yeah Ed, uh, you've been absolutely fantastic. Uh, a couple more things uh, before I let you go. First thing then is um, is your all-time Leeds eleven. So I've as ever I asked people to come on this podcast to pick an all-time eleven based on the players they've seen play for their, for their club. Ed has been kind enough to do that. So let's go through the team. It's in a 4-3-3 formation. In goal, Nigel Martin, back four, right to left. Luke Ayling, Lucas Radaby, David Wetherill and Ian Hart in midfield the one and only David Batty, and he's alongside Gordon Strachan and Pablo Hernandez. And the front three, Alan Smith, Mark Vaduka and Harry Kuhl. Um So I said earlier, six of those players are from that David O'Leary team, which I think just shows you how incredible that period was in terms mm. of talent, despite the fact they didn't win anything. A couple of players I just want to touch on. The first is Alan Smith. Um, now, he was great for Leeds. No dispute about that, as you say, local lad. He did go to Manchester United though. Um was that not a factor in your decision with this team? I know I think that's scarred him in the view of some Leeds fans, but obviously clearly not you. Yeah,
1: I I think if you look at the basics of that deal, he he wasn't presented with much choice. I think a lot of he was he was once asked on Sky um for Soccer Saturday is there anyone you wouldn't play for? And he said Manchester United. Now apparently, yeah, I not it, uh, yeah, it? I think yeah. so, soccer, club, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, apparently, he was a bit of a Manchester United fan when he was uh, younger. Okay, um, I was aware of that. So that might be a bit of mm. fan service. But I think you know, you look at the deal, you, you hear about it, and Manchester United were the only people offering cash. Everyone else is going, well, we'll pay you £4 million this year and then on yeah. bonuses and dependents and up too, and they just went, we'll pay you straight away. And actually part of that was Alex Ferguson saying they're in financial trouble, just give them the money. Mm. Um, and I don't think that factors in. A, a, a Milan-supporting friend of mine in Milan, after he'd played us twice in the Champions League, described Alan Smith as a smashing little bastard of a player. And I think Comes that That is the (laughs) ultimate compliment for any Leeds United player because (laughs) they're the sort of players you love on your team and you hate playing against
0: yeah uh, yeah no he, that's a really good plan i think he actually left after he got relegated so it's a bit hard to blame him from yeah well he he was,
1: from. you saw him at the last match in tears yeah. leaving the pitch so he's he either
0: playing the championship or play for the best team in the country so you can't blame him um i guess and the other player i just wanted to touch on this is pablo hernandez um so he's all sort of part of this era isn't he i believe the era, and i mean he's got in yeah. that team ahead of McAllister and you know D'Acor, as you mentioned earlier was a really good player so he's got He's alongside Batty and Strachan's. got ahead of Gary Speed as well. Mm-hmm. What he, he must be a good player. Then I, 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 I forgive yeah. me. I don't know too much about Pablo Hernandez.
1: Well, I'll, can I just quickly say that David Weatherall is in there, not necessarily for his skill. He was a good defender. Um, he's mainly in it because uh, he did not go on the open topped bus ride around Leeds to celebrate the championship because he was re- revising. <laughs> for his chemical sciences degrees finals that he was also taking and uh, he went and studied and he got his degree and he has been quoted as saying, I don't know what the hell I was thinking.
0: <laughs> oh, that's insane. <laughs>
1: um, so that's why he's in there. Favorite of mine, very good player. One of the sort of more reliable players of that yeah, late. I remember um, him well.
0: Yeah, he was solid, wasn't he? he so that, yeah, that yeah. late, that, that 90s era. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
1: In, yeah, late. I didn't really come into the team until about 93, yeah. 94, I think. Yeah, eight, something like you that, you that yeah. yeah. Um, the reason I went with Pablo uh, uh, ahead of... McAllister or Johnny Houson or uh anyone like that is what he did for us last season of over the last two seasons. He is the player who sort of proves Howard Wilkinson, you need Vinnie Jones for the second division, you need Gary mm. McAllister for the top division, proves him wrong because last over the last two seasons, time and time again, when we can't work out what to do, he's the player who makes something happen. His vision of passing is incredible. His long-range passing. He also can arrive in the box at exactly the right time. And there were, when we were trying to keep up two seasons ago you know we were faltering a bit and Sheffield United were you know stuttering but we were stuttering too we needed to keep up with them and we ended up um, not falling, falling to third place there were games where word would come through that there's been a goal somewhere else and at that point Hernandez just runs into the uh, just makes something happen and it's mm you know incredible
0: excellent uh final question then so the final question was podcast for series two was meant to be if you could go back in time and relive one moment from your time up to now supporting a team you support what would it be but then uh, in episode one miles jacobson took it upon himself to change the question so i'm gonna i'm gonna keep it to the new version the miles jacobson final question as i'm now Mm -hmm. calling it um so miles jacobson changed the question to if you go back in time and alter or i think as he put it tweak one moment from your time supporting the team you support, and of course, he sports Watford, what would you alter, stroke, tweak? So I'll ask you, Ed, if you could go back in time and tweak, alter one moment from your time up to now supporting Leeds, what would it be? It can be absolutely anything. It can be a supporter experience. It can be a match. It can be a transfer. I mean, you've got a lot to choose from, I guess. But what would you, what would you go for?
1: I think the thing that would have made the biggest difference, I'm trying to think of what game in 2001... What league match did we lose that we shouldn't have? Because three more points in that season gets us into the Champions League again. Mm-hmm. That's a good choice. Yeah. Would you, would you think... choose
0: that over then not beating Valencia? Would you would you rather get back in than get to the final in two thousand one? You would have faced what Bayern Munich, I think, in the final, wouldn't you that year?
1: Yeah, I still i we were punching so far above. I think I would rather have had a second crack mm. at the Champions League. With those players and without having to sell those players, than sort of flip a coin on getting through the semi-finals. Because in the end, Valencia did well beat us at their place. You know, three nil, just sort of yeah. So uh, and it had been nil nil at yeah, nil nil, and then
0: three at Valencia. So
1: I I think that was probably us finding our place. I think to go back again with a season's experience in the Champions League and without having to sell all our good players mm, exactly, would have yeah. made, I think, a, a real difference. I think the other thing, possibly, if we're not going to do that, I would tell Guitana Berardi to calm down in the playoff semi-final, so that he didn't get sent off and take us to 10 men as Derby went on the warpath. I think that would have... That would have made quite a big difference. I don't know if we'd have won the playoff final. Who would we have? Uh, who do they play against? It was Villa, wasn't it? Aston Villa, That's
0: Villa starting, yeah, uh, yeah, and Villa won. Yeah, promoted. Yeah, yeah. I
1: think we, I think we would have beaten Villa. Again, mm. um, although there was that um, uh, incident at Villa Park where uh, we went on and scored a goal, despite the fact that they had a player pretending to be injured.
0: Yeah, of course, remember that. Yeah. And if you had beaten Villa, we would have had an extra season of Bielsa leads in the Premier League, which I personally would have...
1: I, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure that the team would have been... I, I think the second season... And yeah, we won the league by 10 points last season. Mm. Like, it was pretty comfortable in the end. And part of that is these players have had another season of... Playing this way, training this way, mm. knowing what each other are going to do. That third goal, like to bring it right up to date, that third goal, two days before we recorded this against um Leicester City was this is what we do at the f- defending a three free kick. Stuart Dallas chips it out to Click. Click chips it to Bamford, who takes it. I think didn't Sky say he ran 90 yards? That Something like hard. that.
0: Yeah, sounds about right. In yeah.
1: the 85th minute. Mm. He runs at 90 yards, looks up and squares it. That is all the training. That is the drill, the murder ball, the do it again, do it again, do it again until we're right. That's what you get. And, you know, this is the longest we've had a single manager for I'm Trying to think, Simon Grayson, maybe like he's been over two seasons now. It's two and a half mm. seasons. Like, this is where it pays off. So I don't know if we'd have been this good in the Premier League had we come up last season. And it's not that we've added players, although we have added a, a couple. It's that the team is better. And that's what it's about, the team.
0: Yeah, brilliant goal by a brilliant team. Ed Marsh, thank you very, very
1: much. Thank you very much. Hey, we together.